Happy New Year, Emily. Happy New Year, Greg. We're both doing the show in Chicago because, after all, I was in South Bend to cover the Winter Classic. I have to admit that it's much better being in Chicago because South Bend is a college town. Everybody's on winter break, and I spent New Year's Eve in the lobby of an aloft playing pool with other writers. Well, tell me what happens when midnight strikes. What'd you guys all do? Well, the Aloft being a classy establishment, they did hand out some champagne. Oh, and that's um, Aloft toast. Yeah, we had a little... I don't even know if there was a toast, to be honest with you. I think we are just all just standing around. Gulped it. Looking at our shoes, drinking champagne. It was World Juniors on one television and the uh, the uh, New Year's Rockin' Eve on the other one. World Juniors was on, of course, because the NHL was in town, which means that the NHL network all of a sudden appears on every hotel's television system. It's, I was telling another writer, one of my favorite things is when you go to your room when the NHL is in town, you know the NHL network supplanted some network. So you check the card in the room that lists all the channels that are available on your television. And it's like usually like HGTV is off your, your, your remote because the NHL network's on now. Imagine all those ladies who showed up for Sea Island, Georgia and wanted to have a nice, <laughs> relaxing weekend away and watch some HGTV and unfortunately had to watch a rerun of the 2018 Stanley Cup I was, final. I was thinking about that at the Aloft because you, when you walk into the official hotel for the winter, like the Winter Classic or the All-Star Game, whatever, there's always these giant stickers all over the place. They they create their own sort of wallpaper with all NHL stuff on it. And I was thinking about like the, the away team that has to show up before the NHL arrives that, you know, creates this illusion of hockey being so popular. <laughs> these, all these hotels. Like somebody has to arrive weeks beforehand Sit down with the hotel manager and be like, we're going to need a Bruins logo on the service elevator and we're going to need HDTV off this cable system and the NHL network on it. It's and fantastic. they do it in that voice because it's that serious. And also because they're probably sick like me. Anyways, uh, it's ESPN and Ice, the first one for 2019. Uh, Sean Shapiro from The Athletic, the guy who uh, offered that potty mouth Jim Lights interview, is going to join us with a really interesting deep dive on how that story came together. Um, Marissa and Jemmy of the Boston Herald will join us to talk about the Bruins, the Winter Classic, and some really revelatory stuff about her time uh, working in the women's hockey beat on the, with the professional leagues, plus Linda Cohen with the Ask Linda segment, and much, much more on this edition of ESPN on Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Well, hey everybody. It's ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And we have on the podcast today, as we do the show, breaking news. Alert, alert, alert. Alex Ovechkin's not playing in the All-Star game. I love it. <laughs> I love it because it adds a little bit of element of drama, and um, I think this is a precedent-setting move, perhaps. Um, as per NHL policy, he's going to have to sit either the game before or after the All-Star game. And as per the wonderful Redskins, uh, Redskins, wow, Fortin slip, Red mm-hmm. Wings blog, Wing in Motown, okay, Let's say Ovi sits a one-game suspension for skipping the All-Star game this year. If he skips again next year, do they suspend him, too, for past history? How many All-Star games does he have to skip to get into Tom Wilson territory? These are the pertinent questions we must now ask. Very pertinent. Uh, Mike Vogel, the uh, Capitals' great uh, internal reporter, uh, writes, Alex Ovechkin has informed the NHL he will miss the 2019 NHL All-Star game in San Jose, preferring to take full advantage of the adjoining bye week to recuperate and get ready for the second half of the season and playoff push. Obviously, we all know Ovechkin played more hockey in the last year than he's ever played before. 
the Capitals having never advanced past the second round in his tenure. Um, I'm with you. You know, I, I, this is an interesting one because, listen, Alex Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby will always be forever t- be tied at the hip. You know, they are the yin and yang. They are the Beatles and the Stones. Crosby has taken an enormous amount of heat through the years about not appearing at the All-Star game. He's been at the last two, mm-hmm. but it was always a situation where it's like, ah, I'm hurt um, or or other stuff with Sid. He wouldn't show up at the All-Star game. It became a thing. There was one time he showed up to wave to the crowd or whatever and didn't actually play. Um, so I imagine there's going to be a certain amount of Pittsburgh backlash to Ovechkin's decision not to appear in the All-Star game. Now, Sid's appeared in three. This would have been for Ovechkin, All-Star game number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He's played in 15, 17, 18 in, in recent years, and this would have been three straight for him. There's, a, there's one part of me that has a problem with this. Why is that? <clears throat> he was voted in. And that's that's the only thing. And I know I just got done last week with this whole thing about all-star voting being a sham and they don't even release the numbers anymore. Sure. It might be the same Capitals fan over and over again. The only one who ever voted was this one guy. But the fans said, hey, we'd like you to play. And Ovechkin's like, I need a nap. There's a little part of me that's like, eh, it's kind of beat. But he's he's been enormously entertaining in the all-star game. Back when it used to be prop comedy with that shootout thing and he wore the hat and the sunglasses uh, he's been a captain. He's been a promoter of the game, an ambassador of the game. He, The All-Star game has benefited from Alex Ovechkin's presence and antics through the years and getting some time off, especially after what he gave the game in the last season. Overall, I can't have a problem with it. I'm like 5%. It's sort of a bummer the fans voted him in and he's not playing. And 95%, just go to Ibiza, buddy. You just had a kid. Just had a kid. Spend some time with your wife. Uh, have a good time. Yeah, for me, it almost it feels like a parallel conversation to the one that we have about college bowl games and mm-hmm. players skipping it because it's a business decision. And for Ovechkin, it's like, look, as much as I've done to promote the game and show off my personality, like there's not much benefit in it for me to be there except for being an ambassador for the Capitals organization. And I've done so much of that. Like I need a rest for my body. I drink Coca-Cola between periods. I still drink heavy, eat heavy cream before games. Like there's things that I do that probably aren't great for me. This is great for me. And uh, I love, and you know, you can see it as selfish. I see it as, look, there's no one out there to really look out for you but yourself. And um, as an athlete, you need to realize that. Like I said, I do worry about the precedent this sends. And I wonder if the league is now scrambling saying, do we need to create more provisions to prevent this from happening? How can we change the format that players mm-hmm. can like it more? And maybe that's the more important question they should be asking because as we've seen, All-Star games can get a little bit scale stale. Well, it's funny you should say that because there's a couple of other things at play here, too. Okay. Um, the NHL obviously has that provision in place where he has to miss a game, mm-hmm. and that's the penalty for it. Not I, a great penalty. Um, I mean, not like a significant penalty. Keep in mind that this penalty came up because the Red Wings players back in the day, I think it was Datsuk and Lidstrom, skipped the All-Star game. For this very reason, which was to rest up and, and you know, they're older and whatever, and they've got a bigger prize in mind. And uh, the NHL suspended them, if memory serves for it, and that kind of set the precedent for, for this thing. Um, can we talk about the underlying elephant in the room as What's I that? mix my metaphors? Hmm. Alex Ovechkin watched Russia win a gold medal last year and couldn't be there for it. Hmm. 
in the next All-Star game that occurs after that happened, Alex Ovechkin's not playing in it. Hmm. Alex Ovechkin's not participating in the exhibition game that the NHL puts on for its sponsors. The yeah. year after they said, by the way, buddy, you can't represent your country. We've decided you can't, you're not allowed to. See, I feel like it would have been stronger though. I mean, he knew last January that they weren't going to come. I just think that it's it's... until he says it outright. I'm with you. I'm not with you. But if he says it outright, I think it's a stronger message. I I just think that a lot of these guys, when that happened, are like, you know what? You're not going to throw a bone for me. I do a a lot for you. you guys, and you know, flying across the country. Doing the game again, skating my my behind off in the three on three. Maybe I could take a break next year because you know you wouldn't let me go get a gold medal. Now Ovechkin is probably one of the five players in the league who has the backing of his team and the gravitas where he could go out and say, "I'm not going because I'm still pissed about the Olympics." <laughs> right. and not have any back. Not have any back. His owner will bend over backwards yeah. to support that guy. I'm, I'm just saying that. So if, if that's the case, I'd love to hear him say it. Now, here's the fun part. The Capitals will have a representative on this team. Mm-hmm. One assumes it'll be Kuznetsov. He's been an all-star before. He's great in the game. He's super exciting. He'd be worth the price of admission. Personality would be perfect for that event. I think if Ovechkin had a pick, it'd be Backstrom. Because Backstrom, he's got 44 points in 38 games. He's only been in one all-star game. He is as, he's only been in one all-star yeah, game? Yeah, he is, as we've talked about many times, the most underrated player in the National Hockey he's League. He's so underrated, he's overrated for being underrated. But as much as that would be great, and as much as Kuznetsov would be great, you know, Tom Wilson's a point-per-game player. 19 points in 19 games. You want to spice up the All-Star game. Spread a little Tom Wilson on that All-Star game. Can you imagine? <laughs> and do you know what's so funny is that you know who puts on the All-Star game? Hockey operations. Yeah. yeah. Tom, and you know what? They have Tom Wilson's number. Like They've clearly made yeah. it a point that they have a lot of communication with him. And the other thing is he'll probably be suspended, and then you know he gets to play anyway uh, as per the Brad Marchand rule. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's great. My phone's going off. Sorry about that. Uh, weird flex, but okay. Um, Just kidding. Who is it? You want to share with the it was, it was a scam. Mm. I get a lot of scam mm. calls. So, um, the I, I, I understand there's going to be some corners of the NHL that are just like, ugh, you know, why, why pull out of the All-Star game? But I think there's going to be more corners that are like, you've earned the right to not have to do this this year. But, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see if this is the first of many. And if it's the first of many, I'm totally, you know, doubling down on my Olympic theory. <laughs> You heard it here first. All right, listen. Struggle fest, guys. It's two days after New Year's. And and it is two days after New Year's. It's two days after the, uh, you know, Winter Classic, or the day after the Winter Classic as we do the show. And uh, at the Winter Classic, the National Hockey League announced a slew of new and exciting outdoor games. So you've got the Heritage Classic returning uh, to the uh, schedule next year. Calgary Flames and the Winnipeg Jets at Mosaic Stadium in Regina, Saskatchewan. Mm. Uh, that should be a fun game because I think both those teams are really fun. And from what I've heard... Uh, it's great for the state of Saskatchewan. The province. <laughs> the state! The state of Saskatchewan. I'd like to get a t-shirt that says the state of Saskatchewan. I'd wear that every day. I l- did, uh, did I admit we, we annexed Saskatchewan yes. before the, the turn of the uh, calendar? Yep. yep. Um so that should be a fun game, and 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 it's the Heritage Classic is always a cool event, and obviously it being in Canada, maybe we'll get some snow. Uh, <clears throat> the All Star Game 
which isn't an outdoor game, although people want it to be, is in St. Louis. I met that news with meh. Yeah, because you're you live here in Chicago, sure. and, and I, I was talking to some, another Chicago reporter at the Winter Classic. I'm like, hey, that's that should be fun. That's a good hockey town. And he's just like, there's only two towns in this league I don't like, and it's St. Louis and Detroit. Detroit? I'm, yeah. I'm like, oh, you must be a Chicago writer. Yeah. Um, the uh, stadium series will continue its tour of uh, military establishments going to the United States Air Force Academy's Falcon Stadium in Colorado Springs. Uh, so you can expect a lot of USA hockey hoodad at that game, uh, where the Colorado Avalanche will play a mystery team. By the way, the, the USA hockey is, is based in Colorado Springs. That's why I said that. And then the, uh, 2020 Winter Classic will be at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, where the Dallas Stars will play a mystery team. I, uh, we get into this with Sean Shapiro a little bit later on as far as why this happened. I was shocked that we don't know who either of these teams are going to play. I don't quite know, in Colorado's case, who the natural opponent would be. Hmm. Um, because they already did the Red Wings for an outdoor game already. And that was sort of a rivalry that doesn't even exist anymore. We didn't talk about Colorado in our roundtable this morning. But I would proffer that the Vegas Golden Knights could be hmm. a move for that game only because, because Bill Foley loves the military because of the military thing. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. So my thing is the elephant in the room when we talk about outdoor games, I believe is Nashville. Mm-hmm. They're a city that wholly deserves it for the mm-hmm. way they built a community and celebrated the authenticity there. They've done a great job building the market there. Like you deserve to showcase that. Like they did it on their own, you know, by hosting, you know, Stanley cup finals and, and making it far in the playoffs. But like the league should throw them a bone and, and get them an outdoor game. Now, I'd love to see them host their own outdoor game, so I want them to yeah. wait a year. Yeah, I do see them, though, as a logical opponent for one of these two games, either with the Stars or the Avalanche, because it is in division, mm-hmm. because they're poised to be relevant again in 2019, mm-hmm. and therefore it's a naturally good fit yeah. to put on TV. All right. Let's talk about the big news that happened uh, in the last week, of course, which is an NHL team president calling his two-star players horse bleep. John Shapiro writes for The Athletic. Uh, Sean Shapiro is, to, to put it in television terms, he's the Sopranos and everybody else is broadcast television at this point because he wrote the Jim Lights, uh, tirade on Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan with full flag, uh, curse words while everybody else had to dance around and use dashes and brackets. And that made the story so much better. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, can you can you take us behind the curtain a little bit on how that interview came about? Um, because as far as I can tell, Jim talked to you. He talked to the Dallas Morning News, um, and uh, and clearly either had this idea or had some marching orders from the owner to get this message out there. Yeah. So I mean, the craziest thing about all of this, and I feel bad for the Stars PR guy because you think about people who have had the craziest weekends. <laughs> Um, we get a text message on Friday morning that goes to me, um, the beat writer, Matt DeFranks from the Dallas Morning News, and uh, Mike Heike, who works for the Dallas Stars, saying, hey, at 12.15 on Friday, uh, Jim Lights wants to talk to you guys in, in his office about mid- general mid-season stuff. General mid-season stuff. That was the wording. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and I'm the only one, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm the only one available for the 12.15 meeting in person, and go over there and it is clearly not general mid-season stuff um 
sit down. We uh, it starts with a with a question at me. Says, "What do you think of our team?" I kind of give my I give a kind of an answer, and then I'm told, "Well, it's all about this, and it's all about Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan." And this interview goes on for about 25 minutes or so, and I can't probably four or five times during this interview. I did the uh, I did the look at the recorder and looked at Jim and said, "Are, are you sure this is on the record?" We had that. <laughs> I asked that question four or five times during the interview, and each time it was, "Yes, this is on the record. This needs to be written." Yada yada, and uh, and then obviously uh, it uh, it, took, it took on the life it did when uh, when when we hit publish, and of course the tweet and. Then I couldn't. Then I had to keep my phone on the charger for the next three days. <laughs> so, Sean, you know, so much of this is about a PR spin, right? At this point, and you know, mm-hmm. it's clearly he was trying to send a message to his players through you, the media. <laughs> but the timing mm-hmm. of it seems so peculiar to me. One, why now in the season? But you know, I was texting one of my buddies, Grantham, who's a huge Stars fan, and his whole point was, and I'm quoting a text here, and I'm going to clean it up a little bit for language. Doing it on Friday is a lame move too. You want attention, but not too much attention, so you do it right before the weekend. Weak sauce. Yeah, it's the interesting thing with all of this is, and I think they knew everyone was in on this. Um, the ownership was in on it, and whether Jim Nill was on in on it from the beginning or they forced him to be in on it, Jim Nill on on Sunday was defending it, uh, defending the message, not the language. They knew Jim Lights was going to be sending this message. I just think. They didn't expect it to come out with the language that Jim White's used. And I also think it kind of backfired a little bit from, and this is one of the biggest reasons for the PR spin and Jim Neal holds his ability on Sunday is they thought, okay, we can put this on Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. They didn't think about the backlash that they would take for doing this. And that's been the biggest thing of all the PR spin. Now all of a sudden it goes from, okay, we're throwing this on Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, but what type of organization throws this on two players? What type of organization pins this on them without talking to them, the person who's going to go blast them like this without having him talk to them at all. All of a sudden, they have to go defend what they've been done, and it's put more of a microscope on, on management, on Jim, on Jim Nill, on Jim Lights, and all of that stuff. And this is not what they were expecting, and all of a sudden it turned into somehow at one point, it's like, well, if the Dallas media market was better, then we wouldn't have to do this. And it's been <laughs> fascinating. To, it's been fascinating to watch all of this because – they were trying to send a message, but they didn't think about what the fallout would be from the grenade after it landed. Yeah, I mean, like, if you're a free agent looking at Dallas and you're like, maybe I'd like to live there, and you're like, or maybe I don't want to be called effing HHS by my team president <laughs> midway through the season. The, the, I mean, two guys, obviously, that weren't in on it were Tyler and Jamie. Um, we, read, we read what they said in reaction to all this, but what's <laughs> been your sense around the team to this whole thing? I mean, there was a part of me that thought, okay, Team's putting this out there. They're doing the Vince McMahon deal from WWE, the heel owner and the heel president trying to rally the room around these guys to, you know, get one back on management. Like, to me, that's kind of what I thought this was, along with trying to light a fire under these guys. But internally, maybe even off the record, like, what's been the sense you've gotten from the boys as to what this moment meant to the room? There's been... Well, there's a lot of confusion in all of this. Like I've talked to a bunch of players both on the record about it, and there's just been confusion of how something like this happens and why something like this happens. And um, I think I think maybe my favorite reaction to all of this is on Saturday, the day after the story drops. I mean, and John Klingberg, all John Klingberg can do is laugh about it, just because he's someone who is another star player and 
in theory, if you think about the type of pe- people they were aiming their uh, vitriol at, if, if he was having a bad season, maybe he would have been on the list. Uh, I, I just I, I kind of laugh at John's reaction because we John, when Jamie and Tyler are getting ready to address the media and everything like this, John Klingberg all of a sudden stands up and says, hey, guys, you know what? I'd love to talk today. Just la- and laughs and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's the type of thing that the team is just kind of kind of baffled by it for one. I mean, obviously they know they know and publicly no one's ever gonna publicly no one on the team's gonna call up Jamie Ben or Tyler Sagan. I think the guys on the team know that there is a degree that Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan need to be better, but it's not to the level where it's the CEO is, is throwing the words around he's using. I mean, there's a lot of other issues on this team and it, it I, and it also and this also brings to light some of those other things. And I think some other guys kind of took it personal on a level where we're more than just these two guys. The the ownership and GM says, okay, we're not the GM. The ownership and the CEO says it's just a two man team. Well, we're more than that. How I mean, that's kind of discrediting everything right. else we can do, and basically saying that no matter what we do, we will do nothing unless Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan are better. So it was kind of a really mixed message for the group of. A, okay, our teammates are getting attacked. What if what if we were to get attacked? And B, what does that say about us if the only thing that can help this franchise win is these two guys? Okay, so you, there's so much to unpack here. One question I have yeah. for you is, you said everyone is in on it, but the one guy that almost doesn't seem in on it is Jim Montgomery. I'm curious of where you see him fitting in here. It almost felt like he was a little bit blindsided. Yeah, I mean, Jim Montgomery wasn't in on, on this. Um, he was the type of thing where I talked to him after, uh, I talked to him a little bit after on Saturday after he spoke to the media formally and everything like that. And I asked him if he was surprised about it. He kind of looked at me and he said, were you as shell-shocked about this as I was? Because this is the type of thing where he may have gotten a little, he knew that and he's talked to Jamie and Tyler and he knows they need to be, they need to be better. But he also didn't expect to see this type of, <laughs> this type of uh, blowback and this type of message from, from management. So He's he's kind of been he's kind of been forced into frontline damage control on this, and I know for example he's had a, at a point where he's I mean I, I think you would get sick of it too if you keep getting asked about how you're going to handle this even from the uh, he was I know in his, he was having a conversation with the Stars radio guys the other day uh, I think this was Sunday my days are all running together now um, about how they can ask about it but they don't need to keep hammering away at it because he doesn't know how else to answer. I have one answer, which is that my pick of Jim Montgomery as the Jack Adams winner probably ain't going to happen. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask was, uh, obviously, you are now a, a reporter in the epicenter of the of, of the biggest news uh, uh, team in the NHL because the Dallas Stars are getting an outdoor game. It's coming to the yep, Cotton yep. Bowl. But in a break from tradition, the NHL, as, as Emily and I talked about on the show, did not make a uh, book an opponent for the Dallas Stars for this game. Uh, why do you think that is, and who do you think it's going to be? Well, I know part of the reason opponent hasn't been picked yet is because the whole – it wasn't finalized that Dallas was really getting this game until November, actually. Um, so it's it's part of part of the reason an opponent hasn't been picked yet is because of when this game was finalized. Um, the NHL had been kind of looking at and thinking about Dallas for an outdoor game, um, and they actually, back when the draft was here in June, the – NHL was really happy with the city of Dallas as a host. They were really happy with what the Stars did. And during that weekend, they went toward the Cotton Bowl and kind of got an idea for what was there. Um, this didn't really kind of hit full steam ahead for, an, for a Winter Classic game until the Texas-Oklahoma game, which I believe was October 6th, which is the big – it's really the only big event left in the Cotton Bowl. And the NHL had people go to the game and kind of 
see everything like that. And so because of the timing of it, that's part of the reason I don't think an, an opponent has been picked yet, just because it was, A, we're just getting the logistics of getting the venue and getting all this, say, the move, the, the, the bowl game that uh, was canceled and wasn't played at all this year got kicked out of the Cotton Bowl, basically, <laughs> so they had to work in doing things like that. Um, and as far as who they're going to play, I think the a lot of people and my Twitter mentions are completely filled with that it'll be Minnesota, and I could see that, but uh, part of me, for whatever, I have a gut feeling that it's not going to be Minnesota. That's just kind of a gut feeling. Mm-hmm. I could see, um, I know the NHL talked about, let's get a new team in here and everything like that, but a lot of this does come down to, we want, you got to get people watching, and, and for that reason, and also I think it's a team that's playing well this year, and a team you can kind of sell the two young defensemen against each other, is I could see Buffalo being the team, just oh. as far as... Well, the, the, as, the NHL does love its nostalgia, you know, and <laughs> yeah. obviously there's some scores to be settled in that matchup. Yes, and I could easily see the uh, I could easily see the uh, the follow up of the we could play up the ninety you could play up you could it won't be throwback jerseys but you could throw jerseys that have elements of the ninety nine jerseys with the stars new colors and you could do similar things with Buffalo's jersey I could I could easily see I know I know there was like okay we're going to look at all options here but I could easily see this end up being Buffalo in the end. Fun stuff. All right, Sean. Thank you so much for your time, man. Congratulations on becoming the Andrew Dice Clay of hockey journalism with all of the profanities and such. Uh, good job on that story, man, and thanks for uh, giving us something to talk about. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks to Sean Shapiro for joining us to talk about the, the Dallas Stars and all their interesting things. Good news, by the way, about the Winter Classic. Ratings up, baby. Best Winter Classic overnights in four years, up 17% from last year's Winter Classic with the Rangers and Sabres, mainly because it is the combination of A, interesting location, B, two really good hockey markets. Um, I don't know. I, I felt like there was a, an uptick in interest about the Classic this year, and, and I think the Notre Dame thing certainly helped. So as I've said before, like the Winter Classic ratings are what they are. They're never going to be as high as they used to be. Um, but that goes for sports across the board. What I hope the takeaway is here for the NHL is this was not a game at Soldier Field. This was not a game at Wrigley or whatever the hell, whatever the hell they're calling Comiskey these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't a game at Foxborough. It wasn't a game at Fenway. This was a game in South Bend, Indiana at Notre Dame at an iconic stadium. More interesting places. Interesting places will get people excited. City Field last year between the Rangers and the Buffalo Sabres. I'm a Mets fan. That is not an interesting place. <laughs> that is a stupid place to hold an outdoor hockey, uh, to hold the Winter Classic. Except Maybe. for the fact that there's a Shake Shack, and according to some reports that I saw on Hockey Reddit, they sold out of food at Notre Dame Stadium at halftime. They, and beer. And by halftime, I mean between periods. Between periods and, and beer. Um, so this was good news, and I hope that it encourages the NHL to do more stuff like the Cotton Bowl and do more stuff like Notre Dame and go to Lambeau and, and do more interesting places because I think that's what really gets some of the casuals interested uh, speaking, last Winter Classic thing, by the way. Well, not last, because we're going to talk to Marissa and Jemmy about it. Um, so, Weezer played. Yeah. Weezer play, did play uh, Africa, their Toto karaoke song. As predicted. Uh, but it wasn't on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played it while the, uh, I think th- during the uh, P.K. Subban uh, segment, where they were announcing his NBC show, which we'll talk about later. Uh, they played a new song that no one cared about, and then that was the song that NBC showed. And then NBC went and you know went to Mike Miller breaking. Yeah, it was a great game. And then and then Weezer played 
a third song, they played Saying Ain't So, mm. which the whole crowd sang, and it was awesome. So I feel like there was reviews of Weezer uh, that was like, they sucked, but they did play the one song that everybody except for me likes, and then they played something off the Blue Album, and so it wasn't as bad as maybe it seemed on TV. Plus, Rivers Cuomo looked really adorable in his parka. So, bottom line is the TV portion of it sucked, but <clears> overall, <throat> good three yeah. on set. Yeah, exactly. All right, we need to uh, good read. we need to take a moment uh, to talk about a story that was as as many odd hockey stories are brought to us. This one came from our friend Alex Pruitt at Sports Illustrated. He talked. He did a, a story for the magazine about Jack Eichel, which is great because Jack is very interesting and uh, and deserves many uh, uh, stories written about him. This one included news about his daily routine. I have so many thoughts here. I cannot wait to share. I'm going to start reading a, the the quote that Pruitt posted. Uh, he has a he's very big on routine in terms of game day. And here we go. <clears throat> I wake up, go to the rink, have egg whites, oatmeal, strawberries. I have an apple juice. I have a Gator light with a water, and then I have a Gatorade. Tape my sticks, get on the ice, prepare a pregame skate, get off. I get a flush from our massage guy on my legs. I'm, I don't get a lot of sports massages. Is flush a typical... I think that's typical lingo. Okay. After that, I shower. I get in the cold tub for four minutes. By the way, hot shower, cold, and, and, and like a sauna and then something cold wakes you up like nothing else. Perfect. Go, Jack. Go home. Sam Reinhart, we live together. Now he lives like four houses down from me. Picks up our pregame meal at a restaurant that we like. I go pick it up at his house, grab it, eat it at like 12.30, 12.31-ish in that area. I have a couple of Pellegrinos with it. <laughs> That's my favorite detail, by the way. What? 12.30, 12.31-ish in that area. In that area. It could be 12, 12.30 in 30 seconds. Yes. I have, cover that. I have a couple Pellegrinos with it, these little small bottles. I sleep from 2 to 3.45. Now, right there, 3.45. 3.45 tells me that there's also a Crosby-esque numerology thing going on. Like, it has to be 3.45. Mm, yeah, to get the optimal amount of mm-hmm. shut-eye and REM cycle. Put my suit on, go get a coffee, usually show up at the rink at 4.30, take a shower, go in the cold tub, again... Get out of the cold tub, get dressed, go to the training room, put the Normatech pants on. Normatech pants come off at about five five. Go get go cut a stick down, change my skate laces, tape my stick, go to a meeting, get out of a meeting, finish doing that, eat an apple, finish eating the apple, put a heat pack on my back, take the heat pad off my back, take two Advil. Now, why Alex Pruitt's the best reporter ever? He asks, does it have to be the same kind of apple? I would never have thought to ask that. Jack Eichel, no. It changes depending on where we are. That's the only problem. Crappy apples. Except he didn't say crappy, but we're not the athletic. Do that. Usually change. Get ready. Foam roll. Stretch. Warm up. Get my activation. Finish. Go back in the shower. Get out of the shower. Start getting my gear on. Jock, skate, sock. This is the order, by the way. Here we go. Jock, sock. Jock, sock, and roll. <laughs> MTV's jock and sock. Uh, jock, sock, skates, lace my skates up. I lace two eyelets down. 
leave them untied, tie my right one, then tie my left one, then right shin pad, then left shin pad, take two electrolyte pills, get ready, take my bracelets off, chain off, same thing. So I imagine that this is like, when I think about this conversation, it's rat-a-tat-tat. It's not like Eichel is staring at the ceiling being like, all right, do, do I tie my left one? Or my? I feel like this is all very like, like Dwight Schrute from The Office, kind of like, I tie my left one, then my right shin pad, then my left shin pad, then Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> bees and bears. Chuck a stick of gum in, do the same warm-up every time, get off the ice, get on the bike, do a minute hard on the bike after warm-ups with some gear on, take some of it off, take my stuff off, go to the training room. There's this tissue massage gun. Whoa. <laughs> go, go in the room, retape my stick every single time. Even crazier than that, I have my headphones in before the game. I listen to the same music at the same time. I, I just, I, there's too much. I can't, I have to stop there. Um, what's your grand conclusion? Okay. So I've met Jack Eichel and had conversations with him twice. I have no private, previous relationship with him and going into Easter to those conversations. And I found him to be the most forthcoming athlete that I've ever come across. The first time I met him, he was just gutsing his eyes out about how emo he was following the Sabre season. Now, all this is today. It was at the player media tour. And that year, I asked every player this one simple question. When was the last time you cried? Every single player that I asked that to kind of shrugged me off and were like, you weirdo, why would you ask that? Jack Eichel answered with a perfect precision the last time he cried, gave me the incident, was very open and forthcoming about it. So I think that most NHL players and elite athletes do have a routine like this. I think more than them do than don't. It's just that Jack Eichel is so damn forthcoming, he's the only one that would be willing to share it. <laughs> and true. that is my grand conclusion. I agree. I agree. All right, it's time for one of our favorite segments of the week. It's Satch Got Your Number. Uh, Satch and Shandon, our good friend here at ESPN, a numbers guru and a snappy dresser, uh, gives us a number, and we have to guess what the hell it means. This Dallas star has hit the post or the crossbar more often than anyone in the league. Who is he? It's Tyler Sagan. Yeah. I'll be provocative. Jamie Ben. <laughs> All right. What's what's the answer, Sach? Tyler Sagan has yes! hit iron 11 yeah. times this season, most in the NHL. Nazem yeah. Kadri of the Maple Leafs is second at nine. I wouldn't have guessed that. Mm. I only know that because Jim Lights, I believe, mentioned that in his tirade. <laughs> and he's just like, you know, I don't care about bad luck. Try harder. Get for the dirty areas, you bleep, you bleep. Marissa and Jemmy is a writer for the Boston Herald. Uh, she and I were at the Winter Classic. So this is a little Winter Classic review and also some really interesting talk later in the conversation about the future of the CWHL and the NWHL. Uh, she asked Gary Bettman about what he thought about, you know, a potential merger between the leagues and uh, and got an answer from the commissioner. And uh, so here's uh, Marissa and me uh, in a giant echoey room at the Aloft. Marissa and Jemmy, you are a writer for the Boston Her Herald. Correct. How many papers are there in Boston? Oh, um, there like there's two major papers. Two major, and you are one of the major paper writers. Correct. It's exciting. It is exciting. <laughs> I'm still excited about it. This is your first Winter Classic. Yes. What did you think of it? Um, it was a lot more than I expected. Just the whole, the pomp and circumstance, everything. And, um, I don't know, because I kept hearing about it, and people still talk about, like, on Twitter and stuff, about how it's getting old or the shine is worn off. 
I don't think I was fully in that category, but it just kind of was a little more mad to me. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh my god, this is like a huge ordeal. Even I think yeah. it was Sean Corrali, um the day before when they practiced, he was talking about how he was surprised by what a big ordeal it was. And I knew it was an ordeal, but it, I was kind of in the same boat. Like, wow, this is incredible and like the whole Notre Dame thing like I'm not one of those Notre Dame people that's really into it so right. I kind of went into it where I was like whatever it's just a more obnoxious Boston College yeah, whatever it was an, I was impressed by it it was an interesting th- dynamic because there are definitely writers some of them from Boston mm-hmm. who were treating this like it was the Vatican like it was going to the oh, Vatican yep. mm-hmm. and, and and there were others that are more like that's a very pretty building. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Notre Dame is one of the football teams I root against, to be honest. So I'm just like, whatever. I mean, yeah. I could have gone to the college hockey game at BC and Notre Dame, and I was like, why am I going to go watch the two right, teams I right. don't really want to win hockey games? But I, I, I was impressed by it more than I thought. You, you, you make a great point, though, which is that I think a lot of people that haven't been to one of these things, they see it on television, they kind of see the same thing over and over again, which is this big rink. The cameras are in a weird place. The fans are in a weird place. There's usually an underwhelming musical act. Weezer, by the way, did not play uh, um, Africa on NBC. Played it in the oh. stadium. So if you paid your money to get a ticket, then you got to hear the greatest karaoke song of 2018. Um, but if you if you go to one of these things, you realize that they they really do make it a spectacle. Like oh, yeah. you know, the players walking in through the tunnel fireworks and the jets flying over and the whole thing and, and hearing the roar of 70,000 fans when a goal is scored is really something that yeah, can't be replicated that I've, I don't know that sound like that was wild yeah. I've, I was tweeting about it earlier the largest event I've ever covered attendance wise is the NCAA lacrosse championship that Fox Road there were like 31, 32,000 people mm-hmm. and that doesn't fill up it didn't fill up all of Gillette Stadium but I was still the largest amount of people I've ever had a game where other people were there Right. this blew that out of the water and yeah. I've never heard a sound like that <laughs> for a hockey goal that was just crazy that was, awesome. um, that was really cool it, that that definitely struck me and I covered Frozen Fenway a couple of years ago mm-hmm. where it was a college games, it was a high school games and I kind of thought it would be a lot like that this was at times about a hundred. <laughs> yeah. um, I recognize high school, college, whatever, yeah. but still, like, I just thought it would be very similar to that. But the vibe here was so much different, and I didn't expect that when I got here, walking through the parking lot. It seemed kind of like I don't. Maybe it's because I got here. It felt, it felt like a high school. It felt like a weekend high school football game. Yeah, or, you know, it just it, it it was some, some tailgating, some flags. It, it wasn't, wasn't a crazy. Hype factor. Right? Yeah, we went to a Boston Cannons game. Like there are some people who are hyped up, and then like that's kind of it. Yeah, Tukarask. Uh, where are we on Tukarask these days? He he, he had a, a strong Winter Classic. Um, what a question. Where are we oh, at on Tukarask? Well, I mean, obviously everybody knows. You know, he was challenged by by Yaroslav Halak this year. He had to take a couple days away for personal issues. It's been an an an, an interesting year for him. But where are we as we flip the calendar to, to, to 2019 on Tukarask? I'm not one of these people that freaks out every time anything happens with Tuka. It mm-hmm. seems to me like he has one game where he plays fine and they lose, or even they win and people are freaking out. I mean, part of it is Halak's played really well. I don't see how that's a negative. Ask yeah. a lot of other people in Boston, and it's a goalie controversy in the end of the world. Um, it comes down to Halak's played better at times, so he's been in. In an ideal world, Tuka Rask is playing well enough where he's the number one goalie. You look at their numbers the past eight games or so, they're pretty much identical. They've each won four games. Their save percentage is around 9-10, around that area. Um, they've played pretty much just as well lately. Uh, Tuka had to leave of absence earlier on in the year. He's played excellent.
excellent since then for the most part. They've, both he and Halak have had their kind of blips on the radar, but for the most part, they're both playing pretty well. This is a team that doesn't score. And they've allowed, I don't know if it's the second or third fewest goals in the NHL at this point, they've been hovering around that area pretty much all year with a completely decimated defense. That tells you a lot about the goaltending, and Tuka's played half those games. So to me, he's doing his job. He's your number one goalie. He, when he's on, he's a top ten goalie in the league, and people should probably just settle down <laughs> a little bit because it, it gets to be a bit much. Switching gears, uh, we're sitting here in the aloft in, in South Bend, a.k.a. where I set my New Year's. You are wearing a Buffalo Buttes hat. Yep. Uh, you asked Commissioner Gary Bettman uh, at the Winter Classic about the one-league theory uh, about whether or not the NHL is going to end up supporting a uh, merged women's league at some point. And Bettman said, you know, I, I, he kind of indicated, well, we're not going to you know, support a third league. Well, no mm-hmm. one's asking you to support a third league. Well, I, th- I think people are, are, are hoping that the NHL, much like they held, at least this is where I'm, I'm, I'm at on it, I'm hoping that they can help facilitate a merger, much like they, they they bought those leagues to the table, got them to have a game at the Winter Classic in Foxborough. I mean, that, the NHL brokered that deal, mm-hmm. and and I've always thought that their place in this is to help try to figure out how to how these pieces can fit together and what their role in in trying to help those pieces mm-hmm. fit can be. Well, what interested me was it felt almost like a throwaway comment at the end of, oh, we've offered financial support before. To me, that was kind of mind-blowing of, wait, the NHL has done... I mean, we know about Buffalo. We know about... Yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah. Was he, was he referring to the league or was he referring yeah, to Yeah, that teams? was kind of like I would have yeah. liked to have jumped in a follow-up there, but there were 800 people stepping on my foot at that point. So <laughs> it, was, it was time to go. But that that would be kind of a game changer because then it, are you supporting both leagues? Are you supporting a merger there? I think the concern for women's hockey fans has always been support from the NHL, but don't take over the thing because the entire reason both leagues, especially the NWHL at this point, I think it's a stronger league, are on the radar of the NHL at all is because they built it up to that point. Mm-hmm. That's a credit to them. So they deserve to continue to be in that role because mm-hmm. if they built it to this point without that type of support, that's that's really incredible, to be honest. So if the NHL is involved, I mean, the idea of a third league, people have been afraid of that. So for Batman to say that's not going to happen, that's probably a good thing for women's hockey. Wait, let me pause on that for a second because I think the perception from a lot of people is that the NWHL isn't the stronger league because there's been so much dirty laundry aired yeah. about the finances and everything else. But that's an interesting – tell me why you're, what you're, why you have that perception of – it being stronger than the CWHL? Well, there's a few reasons. The CWHL, you look at the Worcester Blades, for example. Mm-hmm. They're 0-15, they've scored single-digit goals, they were completely decimated by the arrival of the Boston Pride, and they're a non-competitive team in our league. That's a kind of a black eye on it. You have the whole China thing going on. That two teams became one team it's now. It's a very weird it's deal. It's very weird. Yeah. What happens when that deal runs out in 2021 and that financial support isn't there anymore? Yeah. Does the league have any financial support at that point? They had... One of the members, I forget, the Board of Governors or something like that, pull out earlier in this year complaining about it. Uh, Jim Murphy's not really involved in the league as much anymore. It just it feels more sporadic. Where mm-hmm. in the NWHL, they brought in Minnesota, a team that's historically been an independent, mm-hmm. and the league was appealing enough for them to jump in. Right. You have the Pagulas owning the Buffalo Buttes. I was just up there, and to support that team gets is incredible. Mm-hmm. Compared to Boston, you, you would not know the Boston Pride exists if you walk into Warrior. I'm there every day for Bruins mm-hmm. practice. I'm there for a lot of the Pride home games. They put up some pride stuff during the game, but during Bruins practice or any other events, you would not know a women's hockey team is in Boston. So that kind of inconsistency throughout the league would obviously need to change and be a bit more uniform, but I I don't know. The CWHL, to me, kind of strikes me as a bit more disorganized, where Mm -hmm. the NWHL is progressing in what its plan is. And I think when there is is eventually going to be a merger, 
I think it's a little more complicated than a lot of people make it yeah. out to be. But it's going to be because the CWHL needs it more than anything. Do you predict that in the calendar year 2019 there will be a merger? No, not this year. Where can people find your stuff? Uh, BostonHerald.com. Um, on Twitter, at Marissa underscore Njemi, one S, one R, Njemi, I-N-G-E-M-I. Um, yeah, I tweet a lot. If you're okay with that, give me a follow. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly Our look at sad hyperbole and, and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. Yes, it's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. And this week in the segment, we look at Terry Jones of the Edmonton Sun, who on December 15th wrote, two years ago, Peter Chiarelli had an outstanding season as general manager, making all the right moves as the Oilers ended the regular season with 103 points and went to Game 7 of the division finals. Last year, the man who won a Stanley Cup with the Boston Bruins made all the wrong moves, and the Oilers dived back to the bottom of the barrel. We're far enough into the season now, this is December 15th, to more than just suggest that Peter Chiarelli may be back to making most of the right moves again. The standings say he is back. This is Terry Jones, the Edmonton Sun, on December 31st. General Manager Peter Chiarelli appeared to have made the key moves to regain the status he enjoyed after the playoff year success. Your correspondent wrote a column suggesting that, and like a goaltender who leaked one in from center ice, I might like to have that one back. <laughs> so at least kudos to Terry Jones for recognizing his his foibles a mere 15 days after writing them. Uh, this was a, a column obviously written after the uh, a flurry of trades that uh, Peter Shirelli made uh, to acquire, amongst others, Brandon Manning of the Chicago Blackhawks, a.k.a. Have you seen that guy play this year? <laughs> no. Can I tell you my favorite Peter Shirelli fact of the weekend? What's that? As pointed out by this Twitter user, Tyler, there's a tradition unlike any other. This is now the fourth time Peter Chiarelli has made a trade. And then gone immediately to call that player not sexy. Right. Yeah, you you showed me that tweet the other day. Like I was dying. It, it it's it's a go to line for him in, in sort of describing his talent. But to Chiarelli's point, nobody was looking at this Oilers team this year and it's like, you know what they're missing? It's two bottom pairing defensemen. Yeah. That's gonna put them over the edge. But to Tyler's point, maybe don't have a GM that refers to his players like he's a hiring manager at Hooters. <laughs> Like, that's kind of where I am at it. Well, no, more like a hiring manager at Potbelly's. <laughs> All right, now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline, the Art Ross race. Well, look at that. Nikita Kucherov, as we do the show today, has 65 points to lead the NHL ahead of Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon. Are we looking at the now and future leader in the points race in Nikita Kucherov? I think there's going to be some jostling, but I feel like these are the three horses in the race to keep with our horse theme for the show. I, I want to hope that, that McDavid wins again just because I want him to win every year uh, and get just a giant trophy case of these things. <laughs> but it's hard to look at what the Lightning are doing and how good Kucherov's been in the calendar year of 2018 and not believe that he's not going to end up or and not believe that he's going to end up on top. I think he's... He's a, he's a special player, and there's enough talent in that roster where they could put him on, on several different lines, and he's still going to get his points. So I think, I think he's going to win the Art Ross. Dateline Pasta. David Pasternak, who I wrote a little story on after the classic because he's a delight, has a new, has new hockey sticks from Bauer. 
with a pasta dish emoji on them. Said Brad Marchand, I would never put an emoji on my stick. I have way more self-respect than that, but I'll lick a guy. Also, Brad Marchand did snow angels on the ice after Boston beat Chicago in Winter Classic. The best. It's just the best. I, I know. I know. I know. He, he licked people and he hits people and then in the nuts and it, I know I know I get it but also he's the best I'm also more intrigued by these pasta emoji sticks I feel like it's an opportunity for players to flex their personality mm-hmm. in a way that you know only goalies are really able to create some art on their masks so I'm all for it I want to buy some I like the idea of there being like the first and second and third star of the week by the NHL and then the guy who had the worst week has to put the poo emoji on a stick for a week <laughs> Maybe they can hook up with Bauer and do that. And the top three stars get to add some flair to their uniforms. Oh, there you go. Ooh. Now we're talking college sports. They can have those little, what are those, pot leaves that the uh, Ohio oh. State Buckeyes use in their helmets. We don't We don't talk about those. Disgusting. <laughs> Nasty. Uh, Dateline Alan Walsh. Uh, Alan, Alan Walsh. Walsh's Twitter account. Yeah, Alan Walsh d- does that as Alan Walsh does. He torched the flames. Many people in Calgary have been reaching out asking why Michael Froelich has been a healthy scratch keeping one of the team's most efficient and versatile fo- forwards in the stands, marginalizes and devalues a great team player. Head coach's attempt to run a good player out of town, question mark? Sad! Exclamation point, I had to write that. Um, this is what Walsh does, and it's usually effective either in getting his guy back in the lineup or getting him traded. Yeah, I mean, look, Alan Walsh is a veteran agent. There's no way this came out of the blue. There's definitely some back-scenes uh, discussion that went mm-hmm. on beforehand. That said... Did I was I fully aware of this drama? No, thank you, Alan Walsh, for bringing it to light. Exactly. Finally, Dateline Nashville. PK Subban is getting his own streaming show on NBC with an all-star special on NBCSN. I think it's like the PK Project, or I don't know. Okay, yeah, actually, I would like to talk about that. Please look, I'm all for it. I follow PK's Instagram account. I know how he likes to document his life. I think it'll be a great glimpse into an active player that we don't get to see. But why do you have to do a ripoff of, like, the Mindy Project or any of the other 10 million <laughs> shows that have just used this generic nameplate? Yeah. Uh, for t- Plus, there was, like, some pink font. It literally felt like a total ripoff of that Hulu show. Yeah. And why couldn't they call it Suddenly Suban? Listen, I watched <laughs> the preview of it that NBC put out, and I understand that it's supposed to feel like an Instagram story. Yeah. Gorilla style. Why? There's... They have like emojis like floating around in every scene that I saw and I don't like that. I'm not trying to be a curmudgeon. I'm not trying to be old man yells at social media platform. I'm just saying that like when PK Subban pretends to, to be pained because he's eating hot chicken even though he's eaten it for the last like four or five, you know, four years. Um, like you don't need to have CGI flames coming out of his mouth or like, uh, the, 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 the smiley face with the tears in its eyes next to him while floating around. Don't. Don't do that. There's a way to do it. You know, when they announced it, I'm like, oh, P.K. Subban does an Anthony Bourdain show. Like, that's kind of what I wanted out of it. Instead, it's like, I don't know. It looks like something you'd see on Nickelodeon. I think that's the point, though. I feel like this is a direct to uh, Generation Z mm-hmm. consumer. Well, maybe I'm Generation Z, 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 because <laughs> I was falling asleep during that preview, Emily. That actually sounds like a line that might be in the show with a bunch of Z emojis just floating up. All right, let's uh, say hello to our old friend Linda Cohn, of course, uh, the host of In the Crease on ESPN+, Plus, an amazing nightly hockey highlight show that gives you everything you possibly need to know about that night's action. And uh, what did you think of the classic? Did you enjoy it? 
You know, um, it was competitive, so I really liked it. And the other thing, I mean, you know, you know, all of us, right? Uh, you, Greg, Emily, and me. You know, we've watched all of these winter classics, and people like us, we're never going to get tired of it. I'm always happy that the ice conditions and the, and the weather conditions were perfect. So there weren't any delays. I know there are a lot of us that would love that, like it looked like a snow globe, like that first one that we loved at Buffalo and Penguins and Sidney Crosby, or the one that I went to in person, which was one of the ones I went to in person was Rangers Flyers. Oh, yeah. Um, that was amazing with Lundquist, you know, uh, on a mission there. But um, it still, it doesn't get old for me. It's still a spectacle. And, and bravo to Gary Bettman and the NHL, seriously, it, because they still make it interesting. It doesn't get old for a lot of the players, too. Like, when you know, I wrote the story over the weekend about, um, you know, yeah, you've got guys like Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith and, and Taves that have been, like, in a billion of these. But then you get a guy like Cam Ward, who, A, has never been in one, and B, probably not thought he'd never be in one because he was playing in Carolina. And, and he even said, this is probably the only time I'll ever be in one because, you know... I know where my career is, so I thought that was a really nice sort of sidebar to the Winter Classic was Cam Ward getting a shot in one of these things. It's absolutely a great point because the guy, let's face it, he could be this could be his last year in the NHL, and this is like an unexpected surprise. Even him playing as many games, obviously, in Chicago for the Blackhawks is an unexpected surprise for Cam Ward, and this is like the icing on the cake. So, yeah, you know Greg, you know Emily, you guys always find the great stories. There are always amazing stories that we're not aware of or not front and center, and Cam Ward was one of them for yesterday. Well, Linda, this is a perfect transition because we put out to our Twitter followers if anyone had a question for you and our listeners to the show. And as a former goalie, obviously people want to hear your perspective. Now, as the backdrop and context here, it's not been a great year for goaltending. We're at risk of having the lowest save percentage in, I believe, about a decade. And Justin Miner, whose parentheses name on Twitter is fabulous, Yinzer on Hockey, asks, As a former goalie, Linda, who is your favorite to watch right now? That's a great question. Uh, I'll tell you. I have to disagree. There are so many goalies that are having, you know, fascinating, intriguing years. But for me, it's it's right now. It's Mark Andre Fleury. Oh, nice. Because I mean, the this guy. Like I don't that. Tell you, yeah, I mean, I don't have to tell you two guys. I mean, this guy is like, except once every blue moon when Malcolm Subban plays. I think he's only had six starts. This guy at his age. I know he's not ancient age. He's not Luongo age, but he's still, what, 33, 34, 32, something like that? Mm-hmm. He plays every stinking game for the Vegas Golden Knights. Like, when he doesn't play, it's breaking news. It's a headline story. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a big part of me that worries about him, but all I can see is stellar play on the ice. He's been great lately, if you notice, the last few weeks. The Vegas Golden Knights have been awesome. I think Gallant has really put his foot down since the Christmas break regarding how they play defensively. And so we can see it. They've only allowed, I think, um, three goals in their last four games. Uh, but Flurry has been sensational, especially the last few weeks. So he's the guy, like, if I wanted some guy in the net in a big spot right now, it's Marc-Andre Flurry. Awesome. It's really incredible. He's played almost 300 more minutes than the next closest goalie, which is John Gibson, who's obviously shouldering quite the workload. Indeed. All right, listen. We're going to watch an ESPN+. Plus. We love you. We love that you're being on this show very often. And we will talk to you in the future in this beautiful new year of 2019. You know, everything you say is poetry to me. <laughs> well, it I, sounded like a haiku, to be I, honest. As you know, Linda, I am a journalist. <laughs> That's right. I think I mentioned that once or twice to remind myself. Yes, you are. I'd remind you. All right, you two. Thanks again for having me. Always Thanks, Linda. Bye, Linda. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's time to hear our first rant line rant. 
of the calendar year 2019. Hey, Greg and Emily. Uh, I love you guys, but my rant is about your somewhat endless moaning about your little baby boy American stars being north of the border. I think uh, that's just something you're going to have to get used to if we're going to have a successful league here where there's going to be 32 teams need to keep America cranking out more and more quality players and uh, a bunch of them are going to end up north of the border. So, as a Canadian expat living in the States, foot on each side of the border, i got to say it's, it's positive. We can't go back to the 80s where it was filled up with Canadian pluggers. Need more Matthews, need more Kachucks, maybe they'll have more kids. And uh, that's how things are going are gonna to get better. So hopefully what we can do is have better TV coverage so that people in the States can see these guys. And uh, we'll have real hockey fans who will be rooting for good quality hockey, good plays, and not just about their hometown team. So I think that's the direction to go in. All right. I feel like this is a direct uh, conversation with me. Because Shot at you. This is the hill I was willing to die on, but I, I think I'm, I'm dead on this hill. Have collapsed. You know, you're not. You don't have a. He's, he's defeated you. Yeah. Well, I think he brought up the great point, which is my bigger issue is that when they play for Canadian teams, they're not getting marketed in the U.S. as much, and they don't get the television exposure mm-hmm. um, because they're not being mentioned for these Winter Classic games per mm-hmm. se, uh, where the casual fan will tune in. Or, I mean, it could be a situation where the Leafs are fine with or without Austin Matthews, but he could literally save a franchise if he was in Arizona. <laughs> could be that. A thing. Anyway, that's ESPN on Ice for this week. Uh, it's good to see you again here in Chicago. Likewise. And uh, we'll be back next week for more fun and merriment. Thank you to Sean Shapiro. Thank you, thank you to uh, Marissa and Jemmy. Thank you to Linda Cohn. Thank you to all of you for supporting the show last year. And uh, here's to more new and exciting things in 2019. I think we're going to get on that live show thing at some point this year. That's our New Year's resolution, huh? That is, yeah, that, I, that is the New Year's resolution of ESPN on Ice is to get our live show at some point somewhere. Love it. Probably here. Well, you know where to find us. You can find our work. You also know that we really appreciate if you subscribe, you leave us a review, five-star ratings, three stars are not accepted here. Uh, love you. Love your show. Bye. 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 Bet ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.